A, a seminary professor once held up his hand in, in a fist, and he, he told his class, he said, I have a paperclip in my hand. He said, now, just by a show of hands, how many of you believe that what I'm telling you is true? I mean, this could be, the object lesson could be that I'm, I'm just trying to see how many of you are naive and gullible and will just naturally believe. How many of you believe I have a paperclip in my hand? I'm telling you that I do. And about half the hands went up. Some people were like, what, what's he, what is he up to? And then he motioned over to his desk. And on the corner of his desk was an open container of paper clips. Uh, where he could have easily just recently grabbed one from there. Now, how many of you believe that I have a paperclip in my hand? And a few more hands went up uh, by this substantial information that uh, this box of open paperclips was nearby. Then he asked for four volunteers from their own class to come up onto the stage, and he held up his hand open to them, and he, he showed them his open hand, and he said, uh, do I have a paperclip in my hand? And all four students uh, nodded that, that, that he did. He goes, now you should know I could have uh, contacted these students prior to class and come up with this story and got them to agree with me, you never know. Now, how many of you believe I have a paper clip in my hand? And at this point, you know, two-thirds of the hands go up because it's starting to take on a little bit of traction at this point. And then he held open his hand and took hold of the paper clip and revealed it to everyone. He goes, now how many of you believe I have a paper clip in, in my hand? And every hand went up. And he said, no, no, you don't believe. Now you know. Hebrews 11.1, that our scripture reader was going to share with us today, says, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Being sure of what we hope for and, and certain of what we do not yet see. Faith. One of the great things about the miracles that are recorded in, in, the, in the Bible is that it gives proof to us that what we believe has some substance. Oh, it requires a lot of faith. If it didn't, it wouldn't be belief on our part. We would just simply know fact, and it wouldn't require us to have any kind of input on our own. We'd just be mindlessly kind of agreeing to what we are already assured of because we, we see. But faith is the assurance of what we don't yet see. Based on eyewitness testimonies, you know, when you, when you read through the, the Gospels, when you read through the book of Acts and the New Testament, and you see these devout followers of Christ, former skeptics turned believers. I think of Thomas, who said after the, the crucifixion of Jesus, he said, unless I put my finger in the hole in his hand and my hand in the wound in his side, I will not believe. And Jesus revealed himself to Thomas, and Thomas said, my Lord and my God. And Thomas was willing to die a martyr's death. For what he saw, a skeptic turned confident knower that Jesus Christ lived. And because he was skeptical and because he believed and because he went to his grave believing that fact about Jesus, for me that fact has become faith because of that eyewitness testimony. We're going to look over the next five weeks, I believe it is, at some miracles in the Bible. If there's a common theme in all of these miracles, it's going to be the power of God. And the really great thing is that the same God of the Bible is the same God that we have today. The one that we pray to through his, his son's name and in the power of his Holy Spirit. It's the same God. 
and he's still on his throne, and he's not asleep, and he's not distant, and he's not disinterested in, in what we go through in this life. And the same power that enabled nature to be altered in powerful ways for food to be multiplied, or the dead to be raised, or the blind to regain sight, or the deaf to hear, for people to walk on water, for food to be multiplied to feed 5,000 people, for lepers to be cleansed, for demons to be cast out. This same God is alive and well today, and he has power for us as well. I remember um, one of my professors in college explaining that God's activity, as recorded in history, has been more dramatic at some eras and less dramatic at others. But that doesn't mean he's uninvolved. During creation, I mean, the, the, the Spirit of God hovered over the waters and, and God brought into existence everything that is out of nothing, ex nihilo. He created the heavens and the earth, every living thing, and he did it out of nothing. And it was an incredible time of, of miracles. And the coming of the, of the Old Testament and the law, and, and you read through the Old Testament, as we'll see today, some powerful miracles. And then it seemed like God was very quiet for 400 long years. And so many of those rich stories that had been passed on about how God had divided the, uh, the had stopped up the Jordan River and it stacked up into the heavens and the, the Israelites crossed through on dry land almost became like legend and less history probably in the minds of many because God was no longer speaking to people through animals and audible voices and the earth no longer rumbled with, uh, with his presence and the sun no longer stood still. But then came... The arrival of his son on the earth. When Jesus came to the earth in the form of a baby boy and lived among us for 33 years and died and rose again and the New Testament church was started, we saw again a wave of God's miraculous activity in powerful ways as recorded, especially in the book of Acts. God had not been asleep. God is not a puppet on a string. He's not a magic show. His miracles all have purpose. And he displayed that in the coming of the New Testament and his bride, the church. And now here we are in, in AD 2019. And again, it almost seems like, you know, where's God sometimes? You watch the news and, and you see some of the, the things that go on here at home and around the world. And you think, what is God doing? And you pray, but it seems as though your prayers bounce off the ceilings, perhaps. You say, where's God? I don't hear the audible voice of God. I don't see God just waving his hand and healing the sick, raising the dead, casting out demons. But I want you to know that God is not asleep. He's not dormant. He's not disinterested in us. He's not, as Bette Midler sang, watching from a distance. He's very, very near. And he's coming Jesus is coming again, and we need to be ready. Today, I, I titled this message, Passing the Test. And as I've studied ahead for the upcoming messages in this series, I, I think I'm just going to go with the captions that are in the Bible because God's captioned them or titled them. Uh, the, the, the Bible, the people that put the Bible together have, uh, have captioned them well. Um, but today, I did title, Passing the Test, because here's the deal. Our faithfulness to God should not be contingent 
on us always getting our way. You know, like a little child going and sitting on Santa's lap at Christmas and giving them the wish list and and then seeing if on Christmas morning what they wished for is under the Christmas tree. And if it is, there's a Santa Claus. And if there's not, it isn't kind of thing. Sometimes as, as followers of God, we try to treat him that way as well. I'll pray to get my way, my will done. And if I do, there's a God. And if I don't, there isn't. But I want you to know that our test is to see will we be faithful to him even when we don't get our way. We're in 2 Kings chapter 4 today. If you have your Bibles and want to open uh, to 2 Kings 4 or follow along uh, on, on the screen, I want to share with you one lady's predicament in verse 1. And here it is. This is her predicament. It says, The wife of one of the sons of the prophets cried to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord. But the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. Second Kings provides a collection of miraculous events that happened for Elisha, the prophet, just as they did for his predecessor, Elijah. Some of them, some of these miracles are very similar. In fact, the one that we're looking at today in chapter 4 is strikingly similar to the one in 1 Kings 17, where the widow of Zarephath was told by, to bring Elijah a morsel of bread to eat. You remember this story? In fact, I, I'll be honest with you, I kind of had merged the two stories into one and had to be reminded, no, these are, these are two separate events. For Elijah in 1 Kings, what he had was this widow came out with one son, and he says, you know, she'd given him some water, she was gathering sticks to start a fire to cook and, and bake some bread, and he said, bring me a morsel of bread to eat. And she said, all I have is just a handful of flour and a small jar of oil. I'm going to go in the house, I'm going to cook this, my son and I are going to eat, and then we're going to die. That's what was on her agenda. That's despair, isn't it? A hopelessness. And here in 2 Kings 4, we're going to see a very similar story that Elisha has. One of the reasons that there's a similarity is we're supposed to see in this God's endorsement of Elisha that he is the successor to Elijah in the sense that what God did through Elijah, God's going to do through Elisha some of the same uh, miracles that, that will happen. But while the record of such miracles is similar to them, And while they show us this successor to be uh, uh, Elisha, the main emphasis is this. God takes care of the faithful. Remember what she says there in verse 1? She says, my husband, your servant, feared the Lord. God takes care of the faithful. In hindsight, you know that's true. If you could pull out an old, crumbly, crinkly prayer list of yours from... 10 years ago, 20 years ago, and you were to look over that, you'd see how maybe everything didn't work out the way that you were kind of planning for them to or that you had hoped that they would. Maybe you're glad they didn't. But when you look at it, you saw that God brought you through that season and God has taken care of you. God is partial to the weak and the fatherless and the widow and the abused and the unborn. And those who do not have an advocate to speak up for them, God is a powerful friend to. Now here's the bottom line. The window of opportunity to prove your faith is limited to the time before God shows his power. 
If you were sick and you got well and you said, I, you know, I believe God's going to make me well. Well, no, now you know. You, you, you saw that God saw you through your situation. And in, in retrospect, though, if you are faithful to God, no matter what. I like what Daniel said. My God will set us free. But even if he doesn't, we'll not worship the false gods. We'll worship the one true God. But even if he doesn't, he can, he is able, nothing is impossible for him. But even if I don't get my way, I will still praise the Lord. I will worship him in this storm. All right, real quick, like, here are a few lessons for us from the rest of this passage, the rest of these six verses in uh, 1 Kings 4. Verse 2, focus on what you have, not what you don't have. Focus on what you have, not what you don't have. 2 Kings 4.2 says this, Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what have you in the house? And she said, your servant has nothing in the house (laughs) except for a jar of oil. What do you have in your house? What do you have in your toolbox of spiritual gifts that God has blessed you with? What do you have? You see, when we look around and we see the opportunity to really shine for God and to do something for the weak and the fatherless, the widow and the orphan, the unborn, and we see a huge need, the human tendency is to talk about what we would do if we had more resource, more time, more talent. And we say, boy, if I had a million dollars, I would, and we fill in the blank. If I won the lottery, I tell you what, I would do such and such. And when we look at the huge problems of the world, when we look at human trafficking, for instance, and we see people that are being put into sex slavery and, and, and labor slavery all over the world, children are taken advantage of and, and exploited, and we just kind of, if you're like me, I just want to stand back and pull my hair out and say, but what can I do? And God is saying, well, what do you have? What do you have? God's not so much asked us to solve all the problems of the world or to fill up every need of the world, but he has asked us to pour ourselves out. What do you have? Not what would you do with what you wish you had, but what are you doing right now with what you do have? There was a huge social problem during Elisha's time. Human injustices were being imposed on the poor. If you were poor and you could not afford to pay your debts, your children could be taken as collateral and forced into slavery to satisfy your debt. So can you imagine with that on the line? I mean, for most of us today, when we've had to go out and we've had to borrow money in order to you know, satisfy our, you know, our, our greatest needs and we're worried about how we'll be able to pay it off, we worry about what if we lose our home? What if they come and they repossess my car? What if I damage my credit? But I've never had to look out the window and think to myself, what if they come and take my son and daughter because I can't pay the next bill? 
Can you imagine? And what if there was a famine like this, this widow is going through in 1 Kings 4, 2 Kings 4. She's going through a famine to no fault of her own. She's out gathering a few sticks. She's going to try, you know, this, this lady in 2 Kings 4 is going to try to use whatever she can to, to keep her sons from being taken by the creditors. And all she's got in her house, I have nothing, she says, except for a jar of oil. But she does have a jar of oil. You know, it's really no different today. All over the, the world, USA included, human trafficking is happening. The human tendency is to, to look at an, at an overwhelming need and surmise that it's too big to solve. But most of us just need to get in the game. We need to ask God, what is it I can do? We need to look and see what do we have in our storehouse so to speak. Elisha didn't ignore this woman's need. He listened to her and he asked about her needs and he encouraged her. He says, what do you want me to do for you? What can I do to get involved to help? Relief begins with what we do have in hand. Iowa native and successful actor Ashton Kutcher is the co-founder of Thorn. It is a technology-based organization that uses 25 digital companies, most of them you'd recognize, to help identify children who are being trafficked. So far, Thorne has rescued over 5,700 children. They have disrupted 6,608 perpetrators. They've encouraged over 140,000 individuals seeking child sexual abuse materials to get help, and they've educated 3.5 million teens through the Stop Sextortion campaign. And I tell you what, Ashton Kutcher could use his fame, his ability to, to be an actor and to make lots of money to just boost himself up. Our family loves the movie Cheaper by the Dozen. And if, you're, if, you, if you've seen that movie, Ashton Kutcher plays uh, the very vain boyfriend of the oldest daughter. And I, I tell you what, he's a great actor because he is nothing like that character. Kutcher testified in front of the Senate Committee on Foreign Relations on Human Trafficking and Modern Slavery in February of 2017. He gave a heartfelt introduction and he said, this is usually where the critics tell me that I'd better stick to my day job. <laughs> and then he explained that his day job is to be the co-founder of Thorn and to be the father of two children and his voice began to crack. The same ages of the victims whose stories he went on to share in detail with the committee. And he told the lawmakers that day, Two years ago, he said, the right to pursue happiness for so many is stripped away, he continued. It is raped, it is abused, it is taken by force, fraud, or coercion. It is sold for the momentary happiness of another. Alongside law enforcement, Kutcher has met victims in Russia, India, New York, and New Jersey. And I've been told human trafficking is a terrible problem. In Indianapolis, Indiana, USA. He actually rides along with the FBI on their raids, rescuing young victims. He told a seven-year-old girl, he, uh, he told of a seven-year-old girl who was being monitored for 30 years by Homeland Security. They could see that she was being abused. They could see that it was being recorded. They could see that on the dark web, these horrible things were being done to her, and yet her perpetrator could not be identified. And as a last resort, they reached out to Thorne, and Thorne was able to, within just a, a few days, identify the perpetrator Ashton Kutcher 
looked within his house to see what he did have. What he had was fame. I don't have that. I could ask to go and speak to that same committee, and my guess is they'd say, Sean who? (laughs) I wouldn't get in. But he looked to see what he did have. And maybe for you, what you have is an ability uh, to, to really be strong in academics. Shine in that. Go for a degree that will enable you to make a difference for the kingdom of God and to stand up for the weak and the fatherless and the orphan and the abused and the unborn. Maybe you have an athletic ability and it just comes natural for you and you've taken a God-given gift and you have really polished up that skill. I want you to know that it is great that you can compete and that you can earn awards and you'll look back on that for all of life and celebrate. But what it really is, is it's your platform to shine for God's kingdom. It is your ability to share the story of what Jesus is doing in your life to shine for him. What do you have in your house? What do you have? Maybe you have the ability to make money, or maybe God's blessed you with wisdom, or God's given you a a, a wonderful gift of leadership, and and you can be able to to lead perhaps in government or school or community or even here at church in ways that can help steer us toward making more disciples for Christ, changing our world for the kingdom of God, and speaking up for those that can't speak for themselves. The second thing is trust God to multiply. Trust God to take what you do have and multiply it over. 2 Kings 4, verses 3 through 5 says this. Then he said, go outside, borrow vessels from all your neighbors, empty vessels and not too few. (laughs) Then go in, shut the door behind yourself and your sons and pour into all these vessels. And when one is full, set it aside. So she went from him, she shut the door behind herself and her sons, and as she poured, they brought the vessels to her. Go borrow every empty vessel you can and not too few of them. Remember, she said, I don't have anything except for a small jar of oil. And then she's told, you go and you get every box, every container, every jar, every vat, every whatever you can, and you bring all of that. It's kind of hard to go out and start asking for those things when God's not blessed you yet. But God works that way a lot, doesn't he? He does not need our help, but we need to be part of it. And he knows our greatest need. Think about these stories in the, in the Bible. The priests were told to step into the Jordan River when it was still flowing, and not just flowing, but was at flood stage. Yeah, I'll cross a dry riverbed. That's, that's easy to do. But you want me to step in it while the water's still flowing? Well, stop the water and I will. But God says, no, step on into the water. He told, Jesus told the ten men with leprosy, go show yourself to the priest. Show, show yourselves to the priest. These men were sick when they left to go show themselves to the priest. And it was while they were on their way that they were healed. The blind man, when Jesus put mud in his eyes, told him, you go wash at the pool of Siloam and you'll be able to see. And the man went and he washed and then he could see. Well, anything magical about the water, he didn't earn it by going and doing what Jesus said. But, but he was faithful before he saw the result. Can you imagine Noah and his family? <laughs> Worked on that ark 120 years in the desert where it had never rained. Now, that's one thing. But then go sit in the ark, what was it, seven days? 
before the first splatter of rain? <laughs> I bet those were seven long days. Dad, <laughs> you sure it's going to rain? Yes, son, God said it will. Huh? All right. Daughters-in-law probably began to ask their husband, I think your dad's crazy. <laughs> the animals began making animal noises and smells. They probably wished they were on the outside <laughs> where it was dry. <laughs> and there was more room. Seven long days they waited. Enter the ark ahead of that first splatter of rain. And then when Jesus multiplied the fishes and the loaves to feed the 5,000, I love Andrew, right? Andrew is the one that comes up to, uh, to Jesus and he's got, well, we got a young boy here. He's got his lunch with him. Five loaves and two fish, basically five pretzel rods and two fish jerkies. And, um, but what's that with 5,000 people, right? Why even bother, you know? At the time, they would say, well, don't worry about it. It's not going to make a difference. You just keep your lunch kind of thing. But Andrew said, well, you know, this is what we got. What do you have? What do you have in your house? And Jesus said, you go get everyone seated. <laughs> Try seating 5,000 people for a meal that hasn't been prepared. <laughs> Seat 5,000 people for a meal, the supplies of which you do not yet have, or at least don't think you have. <laughs> but we always have to step out in that faith, because as Hebrews 11.1 1 says, faith is. And attempts to explain away the miraculous elements in 2 Kings 4 as merely pictures of ordinary events have not been successful, as Donald Weissman writes in his commentary. Verse 3, demonstrate faith ahead of your provision. That is not a faith-healing approach. I want you to know that. We're not talking about seed money. We're not talking about you do something to get what you want from God. I'm just saying that your window of opportunity to show God your faithfulness is limited to the time before he shows you how he's going to take care of you. Because once he's taken care of you, it's like, I knew you'd do it all along, God. <laughs> it's kind of after the fact. But when you say it on the front end, whether you do or you don't, your will be done. Even Jesus prayed, Lord, let this bitter cup pass from me in the garden. He didn't want to go to the cross. But he said, Lord, not my will, yours be done. And Jesus didn't necessarily get his way regarding his wishes. But he did get his way in the sense that he followed through with his father's will. Faithfulness is required in the sense that you acknowledge up front what you will be obedient to God regardless of his final decision. One, one more thing, uh, and that is give glory to God for his faithfulness when he is faithful. 2 Kings 4, verses 6 through 7. Here's the miracle. You ready? All she had was, she had nothing except for one jar of oil. This is what God did. When the vessels were full, she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there's not another Everything was filled that she had gathered. Then the oil stopped flowing. She came and she told the man of God, and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debts, and you and your sons can live on the rest. The one that she set aside, that was for their personal needs. But what filled all those oil, all those, those jars, can you imagine this? It just never stops pouring out of this jar. It'd be like a pitcher of tea, of sweet tea with lemon. 
and, and just pouring that in your glasses. And, and every time you, you rock it back, it's as full as it was before you poured it, and it never gets empty. I mean, this is an amazing miracle. This really happened. And she really poured all of this oil out of that little jar that she had and filled every tub, every jar, every cooler, every whatever she could gather up. She filled with that oil. It isn't necessarily implied in this text, but you almost kind of wonder, what if she'd had one more jar? It had been filled too. Don't limit God. <laughs> Don't limit God. If you're praying for rain, take an umbrella with you. <laughs> I mean, it's just amazing. When, when God pours forth his miracles, he doesn't think, he doesn't limit himself in a human way. He, he, he acts with all of his power. And he's an amazing, amazing God. And it was what she needed to pay off those debts and keep her sons from being taken into bondage and forced into labor. Psalm 146.9 says this, The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. He watches over the widow and the fatherless. I said there'd be an element of worship. Um, you know, when we are used of God, when we look in our homes to see what we do have, and we pour that out for his kingdom, that's worship. Because look at what James chapter 1, 26 through 27 says, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. And then it defines true religion. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. Visit orphans and widows in their affliction and keep oneself unstained from the world. I encourage you this week, look at what you do have. Look at what you do have. You got a little time on your hand? Contact Marcia. See what Love, Inc. can, can, can do with your time. You may not be able to feed all the hungry people in Boone County, but I'll bet you could put a pack of hot dogs in that freezer at the other end of our building for our neighbors from Love, Inc. that come for frozen food. And if everybody put a package of hot dogs or a package of hamburger or a bag of frozen tater tots or strudel, which they really love, <laughs> boxes of strudel, it would just be we'd have to get another freezer. <laughs> it's amazing what God can do. Volunteer. Take your family to the Shalom house and serve a meal here in Lebanon. Go and, and volunteer at the men's shelter or the women's shelter at, at uh, Wheeler Mission Ministries. Pour yourself out with what you do have. Quit focusing on how big the need is. Focus on how big your God is and on what you do have. Because we have the same God, the same God today that performed every miracle that you read about in the Bible. I heard about one man that had become a born-again Christian, and he was known as the town drunk, I guess the oldest Campbell of his community, and he was kind of taking a ribbing at work. Everybody kind of wondered how long this would last, kind of a flash in the pan, and, and all of his co-workers there at the plant where he worked third shift began to tease him about it, and one day in the break room during a, a break, they said, so you're a born-again Christian, huh? And he goes, I sure am. And he said, you you believe all those miracles of the Bible? You've fallen for all of that? And he goes, I certainly do. And then one of them elbowed another and said, hey, I bet I know one miracle he believes in. I'll bet his favorite one's when Jesus turned the water into wine. And everybody laughed at his expense. 
And he was quiet for a few seconds. And then he said, well, I don't know everything about that miracle, but I have seen God perform a similar miracle in the opposite direction in my own life. I've seen him change wine into a restored marriage and healthy children and uh, a roof over our heads and shoes on my kids' feet. And that was something that they couldn't argue with, his changed life. We have a powerful, powerful God, and the same Holy Spirit's alive and well today, and he was given to you as a gift at the time of your salvation to dwell within you so that you could produce the fruits of the Spirit. I'm not asking you what you would do with what you wish you had. What are you doing with what you have right now? What do you have? You got that jar of oil at home? You better go grab every jar and vat you can because you've got a powerful God. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your life-transforming Holy Spirit. I thank you, God, for the miracles of power that we see in your word. And I pray, Lord, that you would put within each of our hearts today a specific way that you could use us for your kingdom, to advance your kingdom, to stand up for the weak and the fatherless and the orphan and the unborn and, and those that cannot speak for themselves. I pray, Lord, that you would... You would help us to look beyond our own limitations to your limitless power. That God, whatever you have given us, whatever it is that we do have, our time, our talent, God, our treasure, our story. God, I pray that we would start pouring those out for you and see what you will do with it. Multiply it over and take all of the credit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.